Aloha, and thank you for joining us on our exciting adventure of walking through the New Testament as a participant in a life group. Open your heart to what God may be saying to you as we endeavor not only to hear His Word, but to obey. Here now is our Bible teacher, Pastor Jim Morocco. John has just shared with us an elaboration of the moral test for a real Christian. Purity or righteousness is a must for every true believer. And this righteousness is encouraged as we wait for the second coming of the Lord. Now John now looks at what Christ has already done in his first appearing as a further encouragement to live righteously. John in verse 4 states, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Now, by using the word whosoever, John is saying there is no exception. The reason John repeats these generalizations over and over again in this letter is that he desires to make it very clear that what the heretics are saying about there being an elite group, a special group of people that are different than anybody else and aren't under the same requirements as everybody else, is simply a lie. There is no double standard in God's kingdom. Now, John here defines sin. He sees it as lawlessness. Essentially, that is one is living as if there is no God and no law of God. Lawlessness is the essence of sin. It is not just a failure that, a failure of a person, but it is an act of rebellion against God's will. Now John stresses this because the first step in living righteously is realizing the horridness of sin. Now John keeps referring to that which they already know. It is as though he is reiterating a common truth. In verse 5, he states, and ye know. Now, what they know is the person and work of Jesus Christ. He, the sinless one, came to take away sin. Now, the subtle point that is being made by this is that a person who habitually sins undermines what Christ came to do and makes his work of none effect in their own lives. Now, in verse 6, we see the logical conclusion of what has been said in verses 4 and 5. If the nature of sin is lawlessness, and Christ came to take away sin, whoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Someone who's casually reading 1 John might ask, doesn't what John stated here contradict what he wrote in 1 John 1, 8 through chapter 2, verse 2? Now, in 1 John 2, verse 1, John recognizes the fact that a Christian may commit an act of sin, but here he uses the present tenses. Here in 1 John chapter 3, he's using the present tense. That is, if we are abiding in Christ, we don't habitually and deliberately sin. That is not some single act of sin, but a lifestyle of sin. If we do that, then we do not know Christ. That is, we've not really seen him through eyes of faith. Now, one person has said, there's a world of difference between one sin in a struggle against sin and the habit of sin which is what John is seeking to prevent. Sin is not in the believer a ruling principle as it is in the case of the defiant, persistent sinner. Now John, through verse 6, gives a continued hard blow against sin in the life of the believer, which he hopes will produce clear incentive to holiness. This continues into verse 7. He again addresses his readers lovingly as little children, This address becomes the basis for his solemn warning. Let no man deceive you. You see, false teachers who were tools of Satan were seeking to lead John's readers astray, not only theologically but morally as well, which is nearly always the case. 
It is important how one lives. You see, the false teachers were saying one could be righteous and not necessarily have to bother with acting righteously. But John destroys these arguments by stating the only person who is righteous is one who does right, like Jesus. And he goes on in verse 8 to show in a greater degree the horridness of sin. Sin originates with the devil. He was the first to sin and has never ceased sinning. And the person who sins is under his power. The great church leader Augustine said, The devil made no man, begat no man, created no man, but whoso imitates the devil becomes a child of the devil as if begotten of him. Now in verse 5, John gave one reason why Christ came, and that was to take away sin. So now here in verse 8, a parallel passage is given. He, we see that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Now the word translated destroy is the word luce in the Greek, and it means undo. The picture is one of a devil binding a person in chains, and Christ comes and breaks those chains. The devil is continuing to do his wicked works, but he has been defeated. His works have been neutralized by Jesus. Now, the point John makes is if Jesus came to remove sin and destroy the works of the devil, who is the originator of sin, then if a Christian is caught up in habitual sin, he is, in essence, fighting against Christ. He's fighting against the Lord. Now, the logical conclusion of what John states then is seen in verse 9. John uncompromisingly makes two statements. A Christian does not sin, and two, he cannot sin. Now we must keep in mind what John has already said in chapter 1, verse 8, and verse 10. To keep what is being said here in balance. Now the tenses in Greek make it very clear that what John is saying, it is impossible to be a Christian and persist in habitually sinning. The reason for this is that a Christian is born of God and God's seed or God's nature is in him. When one becomes a Christian or is born again, what John is suggesting is that this birth is radical. For what happens is that God implants in us his divine nature, which provides an inward motivation for holiness. This is why John can affirm that the Christian cannot go on living in sin. Now, John in verse 10 summarizes what he has said by stating that there are really only two families in the world those who belong to God's family and those who belong to the devil's. Everything is very plain. Our parentage is either divine or diabolical. The New Testament doesn't teach the universal fatherhood of God. God is only father to those who have in their own nature been born again through believing and receiving Jesus as their Savior. Now what family one is in can be clearly seen by how one acts by their moral behavior. John is probably reflecting Jesus' words when Jesus said, by their fruits ye shall know them. The true Christian is going to be like Jesus and not live in sin or not hate his brother. In fact, John closes this little section by sharing these words. It says, anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, neither is anyone who does not love his brother. Now that phrase, does not love his brother, begins to open up the following two to three verses. In verse 11, John reminds the church of the teaching they had received in the beginning of their Christian life. The point is the same as was shared in chapter 1, verse 5, and also in chapter 2, verse 24. The gospel doesn't change. In the message, we should love one another, 
the message that we receive from the very beginning should continue in our lives. And both John's readers see that they need to continue in the doctrine and the way to live that was originally taught by the apostles. Now, how should we love? Well, John gives an example of what love is not, and that is the story of Cain's actions towards Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel. His act was a part of being aligned with the devil, as John says here. Hatred and murder is of the devil. Well, why did he kill Abel? Because of jealousy. He resented Abel's superior righteousness. And we see a pattern here. Jealousy, hatred, breeds murder, and forms a very terrible, terrible sequence. Now, this leads John in verse 13 to state, Marvel not, my brethren, that the world hates you. See, Abel was righteous and is a type of the Christian. He's an example of the Christian in the Old Testament. And the world is portrayed by Cain in the Old Testament. In fact, the world is Cain's children. So it shouldn't surprise us if the world hates the believer just as Cain hated Abel. I'll be back in the moment with the application. When we look at this text, we begin to realize anew that sin is a malign enemy. And that a child of God has no place being involved in sin. One thing we need to realize is basically three things. First off, what did Christ come to do? He came to take away sin and destroy the works of the devil. Now that... that unfolds a whole vista of understanding for us. He came to destroy the works of the devil, not only in the devil's work of enticing us to sin, but also physically in the way the devil brings affliction upon us, and intellectually, and how we do wrong things, and think wrong things, and, and, and imagine wrong things. Christ has come to set us free. It's fascinating, the usage of the word there, to break our chains, to loose us. If you're bound by sin, you can be loosed through Christ Jesus. Don't ever let the devil convince you that you're too bound. You can't be set free. You can be, because Christ came to do that for you. Secondly, we need to realize the great incredible bondage of sin. Sin is not, uh, not some little thing that we play games with. Sin, as oftentimes our world would think it to mean, is some, something good. It is not. It is a picture of lawlessness, a picture of chaos, and a picture of extreme bondage by the devil. Now, as a Christian, you need to be very aware of the fact that God does not want you to be involved in sin. And if you're habitually involved in sin, you need to repent. Because a Christian doesn't habitually be involved in the things that Christ has freed him from. Christ wants us to be holy. And the only way we're going to become holy is by realizing the two things we've shared. One is what Christ has come to do. And secondly, seeing the horror of our sin, which would bring us to repentance.
There's a lot of people today that want to be in the driver's seat of their lives. That's the ultimate expression of sin. Lawlessness, saying, I want to do my own thing my way. And in reality, all they're doing is being bound by the evil one. Christ has come to set us free. He alone brings us freedom. He brings us into his family. And in his family, there's real righteousness, right living, and there's real love. You know, some people would probably be shocked as they read 1 John chapter 3 because oftentimes we think that people, we define people in terms of whether they're good or bad. That's not the way John is defining them. He defines them as whether their father is the devil or whether their father is God. Not every person that's been born physically is necessarily born of God. Now, we were made in the image of God, but that image has been, has been ruined by our sin. And it's marred by sin. And what Christ has done is opened a door by which we could have implanted in us God's divine nature. Now, the thought that one is either in the family of God or in the family of the, of the devil shocks people, but it shouldn't because Jesus himself said the same thing to unbelieving Jews. He said in John eight forty four, Ye are of the father the devil. Ye of your father the devil. Also in the parable in Matthew thirteen thirty eight, he mentions the parable of the good seed and the tares. He mentions the tares being the children of the wicked one. Now you're either in the family of God or you're in the family of the devil. In the family of the devil, there's darkness and destruction and sin and jealousy and hatred and bitterness. In the family of God, there's righteousness, truth, and love. Let me close by the example that John gives here that seems to really apply to our lives. And that is, he talks about the necessity for us to really love, to really love one another. The message that we've all heard. And it seems to me that one of the applications is very clear here is the story of Cain. You know, it's so easy for us to be like Cain. You say, well, I've never murdered anybody. Oh, yes, we have. Through our words, through our attitudes toward people, through our jealousy. Because that really is the beginning. You're jealous of this person and their job or jealous because this person is getting more money than you or jealous because of this or that. And we begin to align ourselves with the attitude of Cain. We don't need to be that way. Christ has given us a new birth in himself through the working of the Holy Spirit and has brought us into a family of love. Let's begin to truly love one another. It's hard for the world to imagine a group of people that really do love. The world longs for that. Yet oftentimes the world doesn't know how to handle that. Don't be surprised if you end up being persecuted. That's not a problem. The most important thing is to know that you're being persecuted for righteousness sake. And if you are, God will give you joy. And your love will overflow. And the beauty and the glory of God will reign and rule in your life. Let's pray. Father, I praise you and thank you for all your many blessings to us. I pray that that which has been shared this day will be a blessing to each one that's heard it. May we truly reflect being in your family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.